Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via at Podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com. extraordinary machine, but it needs only a few tiny cogs to slip for the mechanism to seize up. Cogs that work the muscles, or those that work the mind. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic and milkman, and you're listening to Cinema Limbo. This evening's presentation really is the 1995 psychological drama Safe, written and directed by Oscar nominee Todd Haynes, and my guest is my lifelong friend Amanda, a radio professional and comedy expert. You join us on a sunny afternoon in late summer over tea and cake. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Jeremy. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Now, I've had a surprisingly difficult week. Oh. Yeah. Now, you did mention to me that your teeth feel weird. Do you think that's going to affect the audio <laughs> performance of well, this podcast? I've had, well, I've had some problems with my bank this week. They accidentally emptied my account for me, mm. although I think that's been fixed now. I see the dentist, and I had... Uh, he told me a few scary stories about preventing gum disease. And I also uh, had a slight trouser accident in, <laughs> in Waterstones. I don't think you should share that with the listeners. Well, I was very nervous after going to the dentist. <laughs> the uh, offending garments have since been incinerated. So I feel I can very much empathise with the lead character of Safe, who is also having a really terrible time for reasons that she doesn't quite understand. And for reasons that no one can really understand. I could understand if you're ill that you worry about it. She had physical symptoms. But she doesn't know why. No. Well, at the beginning, no. Well. <laughs> well, she thinks she knows why at the well, end. Well, she, she thinks she knows why at the and end. And that's good enough. Ah, but is it? If you, if you think you've got the answer, isn't that good enough for you? But if it's a health issue, then you would hope that the answer would include a means of dealing with it. Okay, so I I don't know anything about this director. I've never seen one of his films. I didn't know anything about the film before I watched it. But by the end, I thought, is she supposed to have AIDS? No, I don't think that's the um, the inference. Ah, I, I, are you sure? Because Multiple. they mention AIDS quite a lot yes, of the way through it. But they mention it specifically as being something else, something other than what she has. They don't know she... No, I'm saying that... we. They, they haven't diagnosed her with AIDS, but could she have AIDS? Because she's obviously very tired and there's autoimmune issues, I think, and she's lost lots of weight. Well... And they just keep mentioning it. Well, the, the condition that she's diagnosed with, although they don't know the reason for it, is multiple chemical sensitivity, yeah, which, is a, which is a real condition. Mm-hmm. It's just that people don't know the cause of it. And that and AIDS, as far as I can gather, are completely separate. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm saying that she might have AIDS and she hadn't been diagnosed with it. I don't think that's the intention of the film. I don't think you're meant to pick up on that. I can see, I, I see the logic there and I see so I thought the, the thinking. So at it. So, yeah. And I felt that because of when it was made, I mean, it was set in 87, when was it made? 94. Okay. And that's obviously when AIDS awareness was 
probably at its height, perhaps, lots of adverts and things, that it might have been something to do with that. Well, yeah, I mean, it, certainly the, the time of the setting is when it, you know, it was I think possibly before the John Hurt public information films, which really brought it into mm. the sphere of public consciousness. But why do they keep mentioning it then? Because it's not, if it's not relevant to what she's got. Because I, I think maybe because the the symptoms of AIDS of having that uh, that's heavily compromised immune system, she's suffering from something that's very similar. And also, in a sense, she is, in social terms, something of an outcast from the world that she's in because she's almost developed an, an allergic reaction to her ordinary life. This very bland, sterile, suburban existence. And so she's become an outcast from her world, effectively. And AIDS sufferers have become outcasts from society because of attitudes of the time. Mm-hmm. And even now, because of their condition, it's still very yeah. difficult. I mean, yeah. it's much less of a stigma these days, but it's still obviously a very serious issue. She wasn't ostracised by others in this film. Actually, should we not tell the dear listeners what the sort of the overview of the well, film? Well, we, we can sort of walk through it as we go. Yeah, I don't feel that it was sort of... Because um, the film could have been done where her her so-called friends were sort of talking about her behind her back in a nasty way but that didn't seem to happen she wasn't ostracised she sort of self took herself out of the situation didn't she because I think her perspective was shifting she was no longer able to participate like at the birthday party where she ends up having that attack Mm. she just can't she's the the disease has physically separated her yeah but that's what I'm saying it doesn't for me, it doesn't link with AIDS, where people were ostracised in a different way. So perhaps then the the parallel between her condition and AIDS only goes so far. Mm. Apart from if she's got it. I reckon her husband had an affair, gave it to her. He's too boring. He is very boring. That's the whole, that's the whole problem. Everyone there is so dull. Well, actually, I, I, I made a note about the husband... There was one bit when the husband was interesting when he lost his temper with her because she had a headache and didn't want to have sex with him early on. Which kind of, you know, you just think, oh, he's a very unsympathetic character. But then he did seem to be sympathetic to her. He supported all the things that she did. Maybe those things that she wants to do when they don't impinge on what he wants to do. Well, it did impinge on him. He had to and obviously look after his son or get the maid to look after his son. Mm. I'm sure, you know, everything that she did in the second half of the film was... Where she, uh, where she has to go off to the, yeah. the commune. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a point for me. It felt like a film of two halves. I really, I thought the beginning was really interesting. I didn't, as I say, I didn't know what it was about and I thought it was going to be one of those sort of minute visions of suburban America, which I would started to really enjoy and then it got to this point where she went to the commune and I just thought the film was really boring oh at that point on that's the... a shame yeah what did you think of the music because that's the the thing that makes the an impact at the very beginning for me that very tragic but imposing music of the opening titles yeah I just noticed the music of the opening titles it wasn't it, I thought it was it seemed in keeping with what sort of followed but the music didn't wasn't any kind of star of the show for me. No, it's it's. But it was good in the fact it didn't. It no, wasn't no, overwhelming. It's, it's just there is an element of the greater whole. Yeah. Rather yeah. than saying, "Here it is," mm. and being pushed to the forefront. It's yeah. like it's like good editing is it's something is well edited when you don't notice it's. It was relatively done. unnoticeable, and it wasn't there wasn't too much of it. When it was noticeable, it was things. Like, I think they um, there was Madonna's Lucky Star when they're doing the aerobics, something yes. like that, which really puts it in its time. And it really, it, I think it was quite good in the fact that it was so it was very eighties what they were wearing and those bits of music, yes. which was good. Um, in which things like that, when it's done like that, it feels like it's not dated too much. No, so, because it, it's fixed very much in its in its time, mm. and it's so odd that at the time it was only seven years earlier. 
Yeah. So it's now it's mm. let's set something in the time capsule of two thousand and nine. How are you going to capture all the fashions and hairstyles yeah, yeah. of that? Because I think yeah, to the point that it was made then there was quite a big difference in fashions and, and music and stuff. Very early in the movie, after they've got home from wherever they were, what's the husband's name again? Uh, husband. Uh, Carol and her husband <laughs> have sex. And she looks so disinterested. Mm. Well, that's what it's, it's. It's that sterility. It's just that it's just a biological process they're going through. There's no emotion. There's no connection there. That's something that struck me. And um, so that scene happens. That you know the they, they're getting out of the car. They've obviously just been somewhere. And then the next scene, you see some uh, just the views of suburbia. Yeah. And it really set me up for what the film that I thought was going to happen was and right. for the, the the first half of the film that it's, you know, this is just they're pretty dull lives in yeah. some respects so yeah, just in those first couple of minutes it really conveyed a lot about that, she, you know, she was she that she wasn't excited by her husband but there was some tenderness there she sort of kissed him afterwards and stuff so I didn't feel like she hated him or no. it was just, yeah, disengagement um, I mean, there's 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 maybe some lingering affection there. Mm. Well, no a, passion. Th- there's no hostility, as you say. There's no hostility, mm. but it's it, more like they're like friends with benefits who live in the same <laughs> house, you know. I think there's a bit more than that. There wasn't. I still think they the, the point where they still uh, cared about each other, but yeah, no no passion there. Certainly from her. She, um, Which is why I thought at that point it was going to be a story of her sort of finding herself. Which it was to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but it's but just in a but in a, in a, sort of, in a wrong way, replace, <laughs> replacing one deficit with something else. Yeah. Yeah. I do there is some very nicely blunt symbolism that her last name is White. Oh, because it's know. so Oh, and her black sofas. And her black sofas. And also that she drinks milk all the time. Mm. It's this very bland, pale, yeah. and she looks very pale all the way through as well. Yeah, especially think... once she doesn't wear makeup anymore, even more so. Yeah. And then, yeah, at the end, she's wearing just white or cream clothes. Yeah. Um, and she, I mean, I think the performance is really good because it is very low-key and it's very naturalistic. And um, she, she plays the character really well in terms of it's this kind of... I felt a very weak, ineffectual woman. Yeah. With a very softly spoken voice. To the point that I, I didn't like the character at all, just found it annoying. Um, which wouldn't stop me enjoying the film, because sometimes it's fine to dislike characters, yeah. but, you know, I just I just felt like shaking her. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that shows that you were really engaging with it, if you... Yeah, no, I did engage with it, certainly at the beginning. It's just when all the... Because I, I, hate, I hate all that stuff. The evangelism at the end. Yes. And I do not engage with that. And that it would have been great if there was some kind of. Because I didn't say anything about the director, and I didn't. I couldn't tell whether it was being satirised or not, because it was so naturalistically done and done without any sort of um, eye rolling. And right. So because it's just. It's so observational. Yeah, it's. And it's just. It, and it wasn't over the top. If it were over the top, we might, as a viewer, think, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. But hmm. it, it wasn't done that way. It was done quite matter-of-fact and um, so quite relatively low-key and realistically. So you think, well, I don't know what the filmmaker's saying by that. I think he's just stepping back and letting the audience draw their own conclusions. I think looking at his other work, like uh, Carol in the last couple of years... Um, which I must see sometimes. Which you must see. It. It's extremely good. Mm. Uh, Velvet Goldmine, um, Far From Heaven. It's another period drama with Julianne Moore. He's very much a sort of progressive person. I can think he's just saying, look at this. Mm. This is terrible, but I want you to understand why. I don't want you to just listen to me telling you it's terrible. I want you to see why Isn't it that is. terrible? It's a cult. The commune is, I thought, was clearly a cult. Well, and well, that, it was funny actually because the, the 
the carrot, the main guy there makes a joke about that, doesn't he? He's going, bring all your money to the front. Oh, ha, 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 only joking. That's exactly then, what he would say if he wasn't a child Yeah, of a and then, no, to, to be honest, I didn't even uh, pick up on that. But later on, now think about it, and then she says, well, look, he's got an amazing house. Yeah. So the implication is they are giving him money. Well, um, pay, they are paying to stay there. Well, of course, but that, it, it doesn't seem to me that it's... Um, too cult it doesn't seem as I mean they get visited I think if it were a proper cult you wouldn't have contact with the outside world would you but she's being encouraged almost to separate from the outside world mm. so that the problem your problems are all out there if you stay here you can learn to be your best self and you will mm. be safe yeah but I guess uh, well the interesting thing is I went through this a bit myself in terms of you know my mother um, in the 1980s she went through a similar kind of thing and as far as she didn't, she thought she was allergic to everything so I've sort of seen it and she she thought it was physical and it got to the point where it became a mental issue um, and she she actually kind of re- turned to religion and arguably that's a type of cult anyway isn't it so, one could argue that yeah, yeah so you could say that um different things help different people and maybe from the outside things look like cults but they're not for the, when you're in them obviously mm. if you knew in a, in a cult but it's quite a, a strong word isn't it it is but I think in the case of safe it's justified as you say he has the nice big house mm. he's clearly telling lies about his background the idea that he's he thought himself better from having AIDS just is that what he said it it's along those lines I thought oh yes he's clearly telling lies do you know if 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 I'd have picked up on that I would have agreed with you more I guess but I didn't I I must have missed that I must have been staring out the window at that point (laughs) (laughs) who's supposed to be staring at the screen (laughs) no but if that's the case then that the if I miss something within the film that it's trying to tell me then um, I might have drawn a different conclusion but it seems like he was quite innocuous and yes, he's very gentle and very personable. Yeah, and there was no sort of signs that he was taking advantage of anybody in any nefarious kind of no, way. No, but I, again, I just think that's that's how you do it, though. Yeah. Well, I wonder to, also to what extent that when the, the film was made, that the director really thought that her illness was a real thing or not. What do you you know if you do? Um, Multiple chemical sensitivity is a documented condition. But 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 the cause of it... Well, in 1994, I think it probably was known about. Okay, And that it would have been believed. Yeah, that it was was a genuine condition. The cause of it, though, I think is still not known. And it can can be psychosomatic, it can be physical. Hmm. Because they... I mean, I don't know much... Well, I don't know anything about it, but... Aren't things like electricity and things like that an issue? Because I thought they'd go somewhere and just live in a shed. Well, I don't know. Do you watch... Um, I forgot the name of it. Sequel to Breaking Bad. Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. Do you no. watch it? No, because you mentioned there's a character in that who has multiple chemical sensitivity. Uh, well, I don't know if it's that. He, he doesn't like being le- near electricity or anything. And I think it's... It, it might be that. I can't remember oh. exactly, but... Um, that's just done in so much more of an interesting way well, than this woman. That's that's the that's the problem though. If you're taking a, if it's a story where your point of view character is deliberately very dull, and it's a deliberately very low key, flat, realistic tone to the film, mm. it's going to be a bit harder no, to engage it, with than something that's written by well, Vince Gilligan. Well, it's not that I didn't engage. Yes, but it's with hard. It. But it's harder to. Yeah, I, I think the issue for me is there's not much enough of a story there. Right. She she finds she's ill. She goes to a place. <laughs> that, that's it. And she gets the wrong colour sofa. That was that that was the most interesting bit. Because <laughs> so I thought that sofa looked fine. Well, it's it was just the wrong shade of black or something <laughs> like that. Because it's it's that that materialism of the eighties. I think it's this. It wasn't that, no, she didn't want black. She wanted teal. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's green. 
No, blue. Bluey green teal. Yes. But it was actually a light teal when it turned up, but she seemed happy. But I do feel there is, there is a lot of uh, satirical material about the, the 80s and the consumerism and the, the superficiality. Um, yeah, at the like, beginning. Like when she goes... When she, it's good. She goes to the um, aerobics class and afterwards her friends say, oh, it's, it's amazing how you don't sweat. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that is weird. That's not a healthy thing. Yeah, because at the time I thought that's a really odd thing to say. I wonder if it's going to come back to that. But is that some reference to her being sick? Then? Well, she's already started to feel ill. Yeah, and it could be that it could I mean it's, a, it's clearly a symptom of something, whether it's mental or physical. Oh, because at the time we don't know. It, the implication was she never sweats, so it was nothing to do with her being ill. So I, I don't know. And um, there's that another thing that is really odd is there's uh, there's this. Towards the end, there's this character just walking across the field. Character of Lester. Is that his name? I yeah, he the, he's he is. That's the image on the poster. It's just him. Yeah. And I want to know more that, about him. That scene is so disturbing. I thought this sort of broken puppet, yeah. completely enclosed in balaclavas and masks and things, walking very oddly as if his limbs don't bend correctly. Yeah. And I have this written down. Yeah, this, this is one of the more interesting bits of the second half. Yes, it's it's that he's scared of everything. Yes, here we are. Yeah. That he's he's convinced that the world is poisonous. In some way. And we're only told this through Peter. Yeah. That Lester is, is believes everything in the world is poisonous, and he's too scared to breathe. He's too scared to drink water. And I suppose that's interesting because he's like that, and he's not got not got any better staying there. No, he? he's if anything, he's got worse. And well, we don't know that he might have turned up like that, but he's not. He can't have been worse than that. True, but I, I my thought my thinking was that if he'd been in that stage when he got there, he should have gone to a mental hospital instead. <laughs> But I also got the sense, and I've even underlined this in highlighter, that Lester is Carol's future. If she stays there for long enough, she will eventually become like that. Yeah, I mean, it's not explicit. But you could imagine it would go that way. You could also imagine she might get together with that guy. Yeah. Who was just sort of thrown in there as a little... That, 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 that they have a, a nice little relationship. Yeah, it's just so it's, it's that's the few, that's her future could be that the fact she feels more comfortable. She's got a friend. Yeah, there. but the fact that her health does seem to decline while she's staying at the compound, that she's still sort of just about able on her own out in the desert and with the sort of away from the city, away from any sort of poisonous influences. Mm. She's physically okay. And by the end, she's using an oxygen tank and living in a No, bunker. she turned up with an oxygen tank. Oh. So I didn't, th- I didn't get the impression she did get worse because she was, like, she was cooking dinner and stuff. So I don't think she, they showed her getting better or worse. I got but the then sen- I, I don't... I get the sense that she's getting worse, or maybe she just thinks she is. Because you she might be reading into it. I think, that we're, I think we're supposed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this, I don't, again, I don't think it's explicit that it's, she's getting worse or better particularly but again I might have missed something whilst staring at my nails watching <laughs> and yet you've written quite a few notes I have written quite a few notes um, I really liked the way it was shot um, especially again, the first half it was very um, open so lots of wide shots even in interiors um, and it had some of the very nice symmetry sort of talking back to a bit of Stephen us thinking um Sorry, Stanley Kubricky. Oh yes, uh, symmetry going on early on. Yes, yeah, so it looked good. It's, you know, it sounded interesting. I think the performances were great. I kind of liked the beginning where you get the snippets of the of radio and TV, sort of almost. Um, I think at the beginning, she's sort of subconsciously maybe taking it in. Mm. Um, there's a scene where there's a TV discussion about assisted suicide. And, um, That's jolly. I know, but it's you know it's that kind of movie. And also, with you saying that she's all these these wide shots of the home and everything. Yeah. I wrote the note. Um, she's that she's like a doll in a doll's house. 
Well, yeah, because she's so sort of floppy. She does. She's quite doll-like, isn't she? She, she doesn't have much agency of her own. No. It's just in other things exerting influence upon her. Yeah, but I mean, she wasn't. She wasn't wholly like that. I mean, she wasn't. So, for example, you could have imagined if she were completely that way that she gets to live at the sofa and she lives with it, even though she doesn't want it. But she does get it changed, and she does tell people to do things and stuff. She's yeah. not completely inert. No. You're right. And I thought at the beginning, oh, she's just tired because she stays up all night. <laughs> I do, Pull I, yourself together. I do like... I, I, I can't remember if it's just one scene or two where she's just walking in the garden at night. Yeah. And that's sort of... She Apple. gets to gets to be just kind of away from everything and just look at... Walk in the garden and feel the grass under her feet and look at the plants yeah. and... And then the security guard appears and shines a torch and says, hey, what's going on? So I'm just, just walking. This is my house. So, oh, all right then. Because walking around in your garden at night is some kind of weird, aberrant behaviour in this world. Well, it is, in any world. <laughs> I think it's perfectly reasonable. It's fine. Without it you. reminds me of um, one of the short stories Ray Bradbury wrote that inspired Fahrenheit 451. Oh, yeah. Called The Pedestrian, about a man who goes for a walk every evening. But everyone else is at home watching television yeah. every night. And eventually he gets arrested because they think he's insane. Because he's not at home watching TV. That sounds good. I might read that. Yeah, it's a good writer. What did you think about the fact that she's got a stepson and it's... rather than she's got yes. a child? It's, it's an interesting thing. And again, it's not dwelt on or no. there's no detail for it so husband has clearly been married before yeah and she's which is why I was just wondering about this AIDS thing because it shows he's got a sexual past that doesn't involve her yes but yeah I thought it's interesting because I thought again as I said at the beginning of the film didn't know what it was about I thought is there something to do with the f- are they going to reference the fact that she's not had any children so her life doesn't have enough meaning or something like that and I'm really glad it didn't go down that no, no, kind of route no it never mentions that at all yeah. well in all his films Todd Haynes is very much concerned about the, the agency of women and um, the way that they are often silent that's why he makes so many films of period settings with female lead characters like, like Carol and like Far From Heaven um, have you seen Far From Heaven? oh you say you haven't um it's set in the 1950s and it's uh, Julianne Moore again as a woman who discovers that her business executive husband is actually gay and having an affair with a man behind her back. And obviously this is the 50s. Yeah. Um, and she ends up striking up a... I can't remember whether it's a, whether it's sort of a, a romantic relationship or just a close friendship with a black man. Mm. And it's... In the 1950s! I know. And it's, all, and it's all deliberately shot as if it were a film from the 50s. Oh, it's yeah. very carefully thought through, so it's 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 cognitively dissonant mm. because it's hard to match the content with the form, but it works extremely well. So this is just, so in that film, there's a female character that sort of does something, whereas this she's she's, she's kind of something. sort of shocked out of yeah. her ordinary mode of behaviour by this discovery that her husband is actually more interested in men. Yeah. And then she sort of develops as her own person and, and meets the, sort of the nice head of the gardening company or whoever he is. This is what I'm wondering about. that. It's, it's not many films where the, the main characters is so ineffectual and... Twilight. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? She's sort of yeah. quite... She's not a hero or she doesn't... Really change? I don't know. Yeah. I suppose she just changed when she loves herself at the end. But um... I don't think she means it. I think she's just following the instruction of what she's heard before. I don't know because her facial expression, it again wasn't sort of overt that she was lying or trying to do it. It felt to me like she did mean it, but I don't know to what how she got there. It didn't make sense to me how she would suddenly feel that. She felt good about herself, or was it just because that they'd had a good, nice dance after the meal? Maybe, yeah. She yes. just felt happy then. 
maybe sort of thinking this is this is the way I'm supposed to feel, and I'm, yeah. I try and reinforce that. Yeah. But yeah, it didn't feel to me like she's saying that just to. I think she. Yeah, I think she meant it. Oh, yeah, she goes to see um, a doctor after the, after she goes walking at night the second time. Oh yeah. And I thought the actor looked familiar, and it turns out he played Alan's dad in uh, her sitcom, Alan DeGeneres. Oh, okay. I, I don't remember it. The groundbreaking sitcom of the time. Oh, I, don't, I remember the sitcom. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember her dad specifically. I thought that's uh, it's obviously not a deliberate connection there because that was a couple of years later. But um, he seems to get typecast in. Why? Why typecast? Well, that he's sort of uh, a dad. <laughs> un- uncomprehending figures of male authority oh, in okay. stories of women trying to escape from their contemporary social prisons. Oh, I see. It's a very narrow category. To get into <laughs> I feel sorry for him. Yeah, sorry, I didn't remember what the dad's role was. Isn't it? I wonder if I should. Is Ellen worth rewatching? I can't remember. Is it? Um, seen it well, it, well, it's mid nineties and it feels mid nineties, but it's like Dad's Army. It's sort of so fixed in that time mm. that it sort of works as a capsule. I, I was rerun about ten years ago on one of the cable channels and I watched it, and I was surprised by how funny it was. Even sort of the yeah, the yeah. earlier episodes when it was just a fairly obvious Friends clone. Yeah, it was actually quite well, good pre, fun. Pre Friends, isn't it? I think they started the same year. Did they? Yeah, it feels like Ellen's. Older than Friends. She's older. Yeah, but I mean the series. No, I think they started about oh, the same okay. time. Right. I believe you. But it only ran about four years, whereas Friends ran into infinity. <laughs> hmm. But um, she, she uh, drops out of going to her gym class, and on the way out, she mm. sees one of those little flyers. Where you've got the little, yeah. little tabs that you can pull off. So, are you, are, do you smell fumes all the time? Mm. Yeah. At the interview where she follows up, up the number, then I think someone asks her, "So, what, what's happening in you?" <laughs> Using this very deliberate self-help language that I'm always very suspicious of. Mm. I don't trust people who tell me they can help me unless I already know them. And they're, or they're a doctor, obviously. <laughs> or a dentist. Or a dentist, yeah. I, do, I, I mean, I've met my dentist for literally ten minutes and I believed every word he told me. <laughs> so the person you pay money to, and it's in their interest... No, to I pay you. my money to the receptionist. I'm no, <laughs> I'm no fool. <laughs> the person who tells you you need a filling and no, makes money out of it. He actually said them. that my teeth were fine. It was just my gums that need care. <laughs> Your gums need removing. <laughs> Your teeth are just going to float there. In fact... He said that I didn't need to see the hygienist, but I could if I wanted to. Mm. And then the receptionist really tried to give me the hard sell on seeing the hygienist. Which is exactly the same as what happens when I go to the optician. The optician says, oh, no, you don't really need new glasses. And then at the front desk, they're trying to push me on buying lots of new pairs of glasses. Well, I wonder who gets the commission, yeah. That's why I trust the people with letters after their name. (laughs) Overall, it kind of struck me as an odd thing to make a film about. I think it's interesting. I think the starting point, I think, was just maybe finding out about multiple chemical sensitivity and that I'm sure that places like the compound exist where mm. you can go off and be separate I, from... I bet they do today. Oh, I don't I doubt it. in America, there are probably more of them now than there were then. Mm. It's worrying, really, because people there do need help of some sort, clearly, or they wouldn't be there. But I'm not sure that they're getting the right kind of help if they're cutting themselves off from the rest of the world. But if you do have that syndrome, if it exists, which you say it does, then being away from the rest of the world is what they need to do? But the cause of it isn't known. If it's, if it's psychological... Well, is that... If it, yeah, but it... Then they, then they need therapeutic help that's not necessarily space. provided by going off to the middle of the desert. But maybe... It can, it can yeah, be. Yeah, but they were getting therapeutic help. It's just a certain type. A certain <laughs> tinfoil hat kind of it wasn't, version. It wasn't that bad. Like that man who wears the pyramid on his head. <laughs> you know who I mean. Listeners who aren't in London might not know who I'm referring to. There's a man who walks around Charing Cross Road wearing a suit 
with a metal pyramid on his head. Well, I've never seen him in my ghost chamber. I've seen him multiple times. Okay. Perhaps he's following you. I saw an interview with him on the internet. Okay. He's a real person. He's not just, <laughs> he's not just like Tyler Durden following you. <laughs> what, you think you, think you are him? <laughs> don't, I don't want to say anything because I don't want to ruin the effect. You've got to spoil the illusion. Yeah. Um, at the end, when the, the, the um, ambulance turned up, I got quite excited because I thought, oh, there's been a murder, it's going to get interesting. <laughs> but it didn't. It hasn't, no, it's just someone has got worse somebody, and worse and yeah, worse and then yeah. died. I suppose that is a key thing, isn't it? But it's a woman. No, it's a man. Man, yeah. Uh, who He'd moved into the, the little bunker, mm. the, the ceramic anti-nuclear bunker, and then a few days later he was dead. And at the end of the film, Carol moves into the bunker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I suppose from that point of view you could Im- infer that it's... Being there just makes you worse. It's isolating yourself even more. But also, people sometimes die. Yes. So, uh, th- there's no proof of causality there. No, but if you are trying to, ex- if you're looking at what the film's logic rather than real, logic. Rather, rather than real life, yeah, because it, yeah. because this isn't real life logic. This is a movie. Yeah. Um, so he went into the bunker and then he died. She's gone into the bunker, yeah, and she doesn't yeah. seem to be getting very much better. So although she doesn't seem to be at death anywhere, close to death's door at the end of the movie... Think, but she's happier. Is... She loves herself. But she, is she healthier? Is it better to be healthy or happy? Well, ideally, you'd be both. Yeah, but who? which of us are healthy and happy, Jeremy? Well... <laughs> Do you look in the mirror and say, I love myself? Well, yeah, but the man standing behind me is always there. He creeps me out. What, the one with the, the hat? No, the other one. <laughs> the do- well... The dark-eyed stranger. Did you notice she's left-handed, therefore evil? I'm left-handed. Yeah, I rest my case. My sister's left-handed. I rest my second case. And I don't even know which sister you're talking about. Your whole family's evil. No, they're not. Don't say that. <laughs> she has allergy tests. Yeah, which is yeah. I remember my mum having. I've had. I had them in the eighties. I think I've had them as well. Yeah, but I don't. I'm not really allergic to anything. Well, I am. I get hay fever, but that's that's normal. And it turns out that she's allergic to milk, mm. which she's been drinking the whole time. I don't know. So, could it be that she's lactose? Maybe lactose intolerant. But do we know? No, it's never said that she stopped drinking milk. I assume she did. Well, assume, well we're going to assume after that that she does stop. Because yeah, like, oh, right, so, so I'm physically allergic to this. I should stop eating it. But because she's already la- had, she has these physical symptoms and whatever mental turbulence is already there, that's then continuing on untreated even after the physical symptoms have probably abated mm. and that's then causing other things to happen I mean the key thing about the whole film is she's so boring I don't care what happens to her I care because she's a person well in the, in the <laughs> world of the film she's a person and she hasn't done anything terrible no she hasn't done anything has she but she takes, has to take this mountain of pharmaceuticals and is Becoming consumed with her own condition, and there's the the phrase "getting clear" crops up as well, mm. and that comes from Scientology. And there's something about oh, and the load. The load. I thought. Did you remember that there's a bit about the having the the load, yes. which is a similar kind of thing? But I'm not surprised it's from Scientology. So I wonder if it was a bit based on that kind of thing. I think so. Yeah. Certainly with the the, the culty yeah, yeah. language. I, th- I think very much that's. Uh, an acknowledgement of Scientology. Yeah. Which, as we know, is um, one of the great sources of global evil. <laughs> yeah, left-handed. Uh, and science fiction author. What? L. Ron Hubbard was a science fiction author. Oh, OK. Yeah, that was, that was yeah, because now his books are incredibly best-selling worldwide because uh, they're all bought by Scientology people in bulk. Are they any good? Of course not. <laughs> Louis Theroux has made a documentary about Scientology. It's, yeah. it's his first feature film. Yes. Oh, do you know when it's released? I think it's very soon. Yeah, I think I s- it's in the autumn. I saw a trailer for it um, earlier this week, 
and it looked very interesting. And the the little stinger at the end was um, Louis talking to someone, and Louis saying, "I, I think the preamble is Louis saying something like, oh, I, 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 I think he may have been brainwashed.'" And he looks at him in a listener. You'll have to imagine what his facial expression from my voice. Do you think that I look like I've been brainwashed? <laughs> Cut to Louis Theroux thinking, well... <laughs> I'm in your house, so I don't want to upset you, but you look like a maniac. I tell you, the phrase this week, which was, um, you think I look like a scientist? It's not quite <laughs> Somebody thought I was a scientist. It's the glasses. Do you think so? And white coat. Yeah, and te- the test tube I carry around all the time. Yeah, in your little in your little pocket there. <laughs> yeah. your... What about the Bunsen burner burning behind you? Yeah, I think that's almost ready now. Actually. <laughs> Many times it's, it keeps being mentioned that people are responsible for their own illness. Yeah, it was mentioned that you know, it's it's up to you. You have to you have to think yourself well. No, but there, there's an element of truth to that I, oh god I accidentally went to a some kind of wellness seminar at work oh, just to get the free goodie bag this week and um, the, the outtake is that you know to to be healthy you've got to do exercise you've got to eat well you've got to sleep well and that I mean that's yes very much true I think yes but um, the inference in the film I think is that it's no, it's because you're having negative thoughts. It's because you don't, um, uh, because you don't love yourself enough, or you're not uh, generating enough love from the people around you. It's this very sort of non-scientific nonsense. No, but I think that uh, maybe at the time it was seen as very non-scientific. But I think there is an element of your ha- being happy and healthy. Yeah, because depression is linked to sort of. Lots of different depression things, can provoke physically unhealthy behaviour. Yeah, and vice versa. Um, if you don't yes. exercise enough, yeah, that's, things like that. I, mm, I'm well. Dep- exercise can help depression. Yes, yeah, yeah. So. I, w- so I wouldn't say that. It, well, yeah, the positive versus negative. Yeah, yeah. In everybody, but yeah, I, yeah, I do, I do, I do yeah. appreciate the link. Yeah, so I think that's you know there's that's why I, I found it hard to understand what what you're saying because I thought some of this might be sort of based in something that does make sense and might help some people. Cult as it may be, yeah. Um, well, uh, I mean it's all bullshit, obviously, but <laughs> some some people like it. No, I'm sure there's some some I'm sure there's elements of truth that work for some people. Well, her obsession with her condition is feeling the emotional I think that's a bit harsh saying obsession with her condition I think if you're ill and you don't know what anybody would want to try and find out but it it seems that her whole life is now revolving around her illness and that she's incapable of well if you're allergic to the 21st or if you think you're allergic to 21st century then it would do wouldn't it but everything you do it means Might make you well. she's also not even though she's changing this way she isn't progressing as a person because she's just turning further inwards in on herself and I certainly wouldn't say that that was healthy yeah but do you think if she hadn't have got ill she would have progressed as a person because seemingly her life didn't encourage I that I think she could have yeah she could have but from what we saw at the beginning there was no implication that that would happen because her life was so mundane so if she hadn't got ill right she might have just carried on exactly as she was doing something else could have occurred yeah but that's making an assumption if she'd have just carried on but the change that she make aren't for the better anyway oh no I'm not saying that for the better so she arrives out at Renwood, which is what the place is called, the compound. Mm-hmm. And um, are we still talking about this film? I know. Well, <laughs> I've been talking for three quarters of an hour. I've got another hour to go yet. Great. And um, the, uh, the staff at the gate are very angry about the car that pulls up. 
because they're so uh, divorced divorced from reality divorced from the outside world which all I thought at that point was why didn't they tell her not to bring a car in then how is she supposed to get there it's the middle yeah, of nowhere yeah but they drop her off and then she walks up the driveway yeah it's, but they should it, have told her that's their fault for not telling her and it's right and they're right on the outside they're on, I mean they're not on the compound land itself it's it's a it's a public road mm. so that so the taxi driver's perfectly within his rights to be driving around there and yet they're so terrified of any contamination. Greg talks to her on the phone, and he's very distant. He's made the, he, he, the sound, I think, is mixed in such a way as it makes him sound very far away mm-hmm. as well. Um, but the yeah, I, but that's interesting because it could have been played out that he didn't visit her, but they showed him visiting more than once. So it doesn't didn't feel like she'd been abandoned by him, but their behaviour while they're there, it's still just as if he's just there to check on her. It doesn't really feel like he's missed her or anything like that. It's just that he's it's a sense of token concern almost. Well, I don't know. I I think he wouldn't have bothered going if he really wasn't concerned. And it was again. It's it, there was no real change. I mean. That was kind of how he was with her before. Didn't feel any different, I guess. It's sort of a, a base level of affection. Yeah, I'm not saying that it's any different because we said before that there was no passion there. There were, but there's affection, and, and that's what it sort of continued to be like. As far as it's I like going tell. to it's like going to visit someone in hospital who you quite like, but you're not that close to. Hmm. Didn't even bring her any grapes, did he? No. I don't think she'd be allowed grapes. From no, the yeast. they're from they're from the outside. Yes, they have to knit their own grapes inside. Yeah, there's a lot of very weird stuff that I've written down about. Oh, go on. About Renwood, um, the phrase "shaming condition," the world is the problem. They have a mantra. Maybe there's some more Scientology stuff that we don't know about. Yeah, and Carol starts off being very sceptical and ends up going off and crying on her own. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Again, it didn't really say like having, what she was upset about, because like I assume having, it's not missing her husband. It's like having gone all this way and thought this is going to be this is going to be the solution. It's yeah. like, oh, it's a it's bunch the, of New Age hippies talking nonsense. OK, so maybe that's what we're supposed to understand from that, that at first she didn't believe it, but by the end she did. She was sucked into it. Yeah. It reminds me of um, Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> okay, I'll bite. Um, it, notably, a film without uh, three and three quarter hours long, not a single female speaking character. But Lawrence is asked in the film why he likes the desert, mm-hmm. and his answer is it's clean. I can s- see the connection there because it has that. It's. It's sterile too. Yeah, that's a tenuous connection. But the desert, it's like that. The desert is. As yeah, fi- but you can as put, draw a parallel between any two films. Now the um, fellow who was in the bunker, who died. Yeah. I believe that uh, Peter, who's uh, Peter's the fellow who runs the uh, the whole uh, shebang, shebang, says that he died from having the lack of a quiet mind. That oh, doesn't sound like a real illness. <laughs> I think I've got that. I think that's normal. Yeah, I think that's normal. I think that's her. That's Carol's problem at the beginning. She's got a quiet mind. Yes, there's not enough. There needs to be more going on in there. <laughs> yes, yeah, not less. That's or, probably what made her ill. Or at least... Lack of thought. Or at least whatever's going on in there, it's not finding its way to the surface. Yeah. She's not becoming a, a, a fully fledged human, mm. and she does, as you say, she does start to become that a little while she's there because there's the other chat that she becomes well, quite that, close. Yeah. With, and they become sort of nice and friendly, and that's yeah. quite sweet. And so she is developing a bit more as a person, but at the same time, mm. she's just buying into the the cult too much, and it's and the movie stops before anything is resolved. Yeah. Just leaves everything up in the air, which I like. I like the lack of resolution. That's lucky. I know. 
<laughs> you got what you, the, you wanted. The last script I wrote had something very similar, where all the way through you're not sure if the lead character is losing his mind or is trapped in a horrible Roman Polanski-style paranoid nightmare. And you never find out. I'm in two minds about that kind of thing, because there is it's a, little, a bit of ambiguity is nice sometimes, but then sometimes you think, oh, they couldn't think of an ending, because endings are hard. They are, which is but why I, I always think of them first. Yeah, but I thought, for me, this film did have an ending, where she looks in the mirror and says, I love you. It, it, has a, it comes to a conclusion, but I don't think it resolves all the threads of the story. Yeah, but I didn't expect it, it, it to... Doesn't, it doesn't like, come to a dead stop. Yeah, because all the way through there's ambiguity, so you yeah. wouldn't expect it not to have ambiguity at the end. No. Um, but as you say, it's, it is structured in an odd way because it has this central character who's not really a protagonist because she's so passive mm. for much of the time and doesn't really do much and is very introverted and insular. So it does ignore a lot of the rules of that kind of thing. So then for it to kind of ignore general rules of structure seems quite reasonable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, watching this film, although I didn't enjoy it because of the second half, it wouldn't stop me watching another one of his films. I think he's a very interesting director, obviously. Did he write this as well? Yes. Yeah. I would, interesting. Re- I would recommend all his other work. Velvet Goldmine, which I think was his next film, is the exact opposite of this. It's all about glam rock. Is that Ewan McGregor? Ewan McGregor and Christian Bale, which I think was his first adult lead role. Ooh. And it's, yeah, it's all about glam and the dystopia of Thatcher's Britain. I don't need to watch a film about it. I was there. So was I. <laughs> I was at Coles, Germany. I was there when the Berlin Wall fell and everyone was bloody miserable. And it, and it really hurt when it fell on your head. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> are we still talking about this film? We are. I'm just finding the next yes. bit in my notes. We talk about the Jason Statham film. <laughs> well, as I say, it ends with her in the igloo. She, she seems to now to have fully bought into Renwood as a cult. The idea that the only person who's making you ill is you. Yeah. That you are the source of all your own problems. Yeah which is a great way to uh, create guilt and dependency in a person. And saying I love you into a mirror, mm. copying what one of the other people had told her before. And... Spoiler alert. Ah, we always give away the end. <laughs> but it ties back, I think, to the music at the beginning that felt so... It felt like the music from a tragedy. And it's. I feel like, that as a whole, the movie is... It's the, it's the tragedy of Carol that she needs to break out of the world that she's in mm. but she doesn't know how and because she's so weak essentially, yeah. it renders her vulnerable to these forces that say they can help her and in fact appear interested only in just exploiting her further Yeah, I guess She was obviously sort of, as you say passive at the beginning, but she had. She could have done anything she wanted. She, obviously, they come from money. She had help. She could have gone out of a job. She could have done anything. And the fact she didn't shows that, yeah, she couldn't, I guess. Mm. And you're right. Yeah, she could be preyed upon. Hmm. Maybe that's why I feel empathy for her. When I first read Carrie, the Stephen King book, oh, yeah. I felt incredibly angry at the end of the story about how terribly Carrie had been treated. She'd been abused. But even much more so than when I see the film or anything like that. I was just furious when I finished the book. Yeah. She didn't take it well, though, did she? Well, no. She didn't forgive and forget. No, no, she didn't. (laughs) If anything, she uh, rather lost her temper. She did a little bit, didn't she? (laughs) But um, people who are sort of mistreated and victimised in stories like this, I feel great empathy for them. Because I'm just so wonderful myself. But she wasn't mistreated, was she, Carol? Well, I'd say she was. No, but... Within the the cult, and... They just... She sort of starts... She she starts off... She starts the story already in in a box. Yeah. And she just transfers into another box. Actually, funny, when you say the box, I did notice a couple of shots where 
it was quite wide and there's a, there was a literal separation down the middle of the screen with characters which is quite un, unusual um, so it did feel like she was a sort of there were separate boxes mm. vacuum sealed well that she wouldn't be ill if it was vacuum sealed <laughs> she'd be dead for <laughs> yeah, lack of oxygen yeah. <laughs> no, I, I can't feel that sorry for her because you just I just thought pull yourself together you could, she, she <laughs> well she could have you know. Some people have difficulty pulling themselves together. I know, I know. Well, regarding the Jason Statham film, <laughs> I didn't watch it. Oh, Jeremy. I'm sorry. Jeremy. I was going to watch it last night, but I ran out of time. Why, what were you doing instead? Watching Red Dwarf. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that as well. It wasn't very good, was it? No, it <laughs> suffered through a bigger budget. Last season... It was good because they went back to having a smaller budget, tight. It was all enclosed and a small bit, and they expanded it. I thought they'd expand, tried to expand it too far. They were trying to do far too much with just a half hour. Yeah. Good. And also, it wasn't a terribly original story. It was basically the same as Star Trek: First Contact. This was uh, twenty for the first episode of Star uh, Star Wars Eleven. Red Dwarf Eleven. uh, Red Dwarf Eleven. Although it wasn't terrible. No, it wasn't terrible. Much better than um, Series 7 and 8. But I was wondering, because I thought this isn't, it wasn't too dissimilar to an old episode. The same feel and everything. And I thought, I don't find this particularly good. Have I changed or has Red Dwarf changed? You're turning into Richard Herring. I know, but that's Chris. That's kettle chips. Please don't turn into Richard Herring. I promise not to turn into Richard Herring. Asking me irrelevant questions about nothing rather than talking about. I promise not to ask if you want to have a ham hand. Or an outfit that dispenses um, If there ever someone who needed a script editor, it's Richard Herring. No, he doesn't. He's fine. <laughs> and I'm going to see him in a few weeks. In hospital? No. In a cult. <laughs> the cult of Stuart Lee. <laughs> no, but has Red Dwarf changed? I think I must have changed. I think now we are... Well, with all kind of um, TV... Are, Everybody's tastes have got maybe a bit more sophisticated. Because, well, I mean, I've, I rewatched most of Red Dwarf a couple of years ago, and the the, the really good episodes still stand up very, very well. Mm. I think it's just. I mean, this. It's. I don't think it's really fair to judge this on just one episode because it could be that this is just a duff one and the others are a bit more. A yeah, bit, but they the, didn't used to have duff ones. No. I they, don't know. They they kind of ebbed and flowed a little. And this one wasn't, as I say, this one, it wasn't terrible. The cast were all very good. There was some very funny dialogue. Kevin Eldon was very good. Even yeah. He didn't have very much the actor to do. Kevin Eldon. The actor Kevin Eldon. Um, the Richard Herring reference. Yes, I know. <laughs> well, you missed my Tom Perry reference. I haven't listened to that episode. No, uh, Pappy's Fun Club, they always call it, uh, dear listeners. I am no fan of Pappy's Fun Club. Okay. Or what about um, Mike and Tom eat snacks? Are they listeners? The viewers at home. I sh- Somebody I sh- will get I sh- that. I, sh- I shrug. We're not listener. viewers. <laughs> so um, you generally liked the film? Found it interesting? No, I generally did not like the film. Oh. Because I, I like the beginning of the film, but not the end of the film. And so in that case, the end of the film is important. I would say overall I did not like the film. But I found it interesting. I found the style of it interesting. Um, And I didn't hate it. I just, I guess, found it a bit annoying because not enough happened in the second half, I suppose. Oh, okay. But you you said that you would be interested in watching another Todd Haynes film. Yeah, I'm definitely going to... I've heard good things about Carol, so I've watched that. Well, maybe you'll be able to find one that actually is available on DVD. Oh, is it not? Uh, Well, safe isn't. Oh, okay. I found it in a second-hand shop. Okay. It was quite a... Yeah, it was... The quality that the copy that I watched wasn't very good, which didn't help, I guess. Well, it's VHS, so... Could have, been, could have been worse. Could have been Video 2000. Could have been Betamax. Uh, don't just Betamax. If Betamax was so great, why isn't it still running? Thanks to Amanda for making time for this recording. 
Cinema Limbo is on iTunes, with around two dozen episodes available, so please do subscribe, download and review before that cough worsens. However, until next time, do you smell fumes? Goodbye. You have been listening to Cinema Limbo, hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, edited by Martin Fenton, with music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcast Network. Come and visit us at www.podnose.com. Sorry. <laughs> you caught me with a mouthful of cake. Um, they're very nice cakes, by the way. They're Welsh cakes. I know. I cake bake them myself. Yes, I believe you had some help. Oh my God, it's the telephone. What should we do? Answer it. I never answer the phone. It's going to be somebody selling me PPI. They've gone. <laughs>Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. Another mouthful. We're just eating some cake. Sorry, Martin. The cake's really nice. You should leave your seat. It's, it's gold. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. Somebody's phoning. Hello? There's no one by that name here. Who, who is speaking? about a car accident are you an insurance company bugger off <laughs> you should put it on speaker have you had any accidents the last three years no and my name isn't Graham either you can also follow us on twitter via at podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com um excuse me <laughs>